Mark 8 and verse 11. And there's a, there's a title for you this morning, The Struggle to See. The Struggle to See, Mark 8, 11 to 38. Now, just to whet your appetite and get you hungry, Mark has arranged this section of his gospel in what I am calling a premium gospel hamburger. Doesn't it look so good? Man, it looks good enough to eat, doesn't it? The burgers are so much better at Mark's, I promise you. Now, you'll notice the red bit. The, the, the patty of the burger is actually in Mark 8, 22 to 25. If you've got your Bible, you'll notice where Jesus at first, seemingly at first sight, he, he's having a bit of a miracle power failure. It's, it's the only time in all the gospel where Jesus takes two shots to heal someone properly. There's the Mark and Hamburger. The top bun, verses, eight to uh, verses 11 to 13. The cheese, 14 to 21. The patty, 22 to 25. The lettuce, 27 to 30. And the bottom bun, 31 to 38. And we're going to take the whole burger this morning. The struggle for physical sight is a real struggle for many today. Some of you here know what the struggle for physical sight is like. The struggle for sight can begin at birth. For others, it can start at different stages of life. Some sight problems are genetic. Some are caused by injuries, accidents, diabetes, and so on. Here's just a few examples of Physical sight struggles. Some have what they call CVI, which is cortical visual impairment. This is where the brain really struggles to process what a healthy eye can see. Then you've got retinous pigmentosa. That's the, the struggle to see at night, and it affects peripheral vision. It's a disease that affects the light-sensitive area of the retina. You've got myopia. That's where objects near look clear and objects far look blurry. Anybody know what the opposite of myopia is? It's hyopia. That's where objects far are clear and near is blurry. And you've got things like cataracts where there is a clouding of the lens of the eye. And for people that have, that, that, that have cataracts, uh, seeing through cloudy lenses is like looking through a frosty or a fogged up window. I'm 52 now. I, I remember it was about seven years ago. I was, I was 45-ish or thereabouts. But I do remember the day when I woke up one morning and for the very first time in my life, I could not read the words in my Bible close up, a form of hyopia had set in, and within days, I was wearing glasses, and my eyesight has continued to deteriorate. The man healed by Jesus was blind. 
with hands and spit, Jesus heals. But notice in verse 24, the man says after getting the first sort of healing, he says, what do you, what do you see? He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. At this stage, what sort of physical impairment do you think he had? I'll let you think about that. Let's start on the burger. We're going to start on the top. We'll work our way down and see how we go. Here's my first heading, the blind Pharisees. The blind Pharisees in verses 11 to 13. Follow with me. Then the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. For goodness sake, Pharisees, how many signs do you want? You've had sign after sign after sign as to who Jesus is, and you still want another sign? Are you blind, Pharisees? And the answer is, yes, they are blind. But what about you this morning? Maybe you're someone here this morning, you've read about the miracles, you've heard about the miracles of Jesus that he's done over and over and over again in order to prove that he is the Messiah. But maybe you're sitting here and you're still someone that wants another sign. It's like you perhaps want Jesus to do another personal sign for you in order to prove that he is the Messiah. I want to say to you this morning that you will not get another sign. You've had all the signs you're ever going to get, and they're right here. You know, the Pharisees, they went everywhere with Jesus. They dogged his steps in public. They were there when Jesus fed the 4,000. They were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. They were there in the crowds. They were there in the synagogues when Jesus healed the sick, cast out demons, when he raised the dead. But they couldn't read the signs. In a parallel passage, the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he says to them, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, well, today it'll be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. Do you want to know why the Pharisees couldn't interpret the signs? Because they didn't want to. They rejected the signs of Messiah because Jesus exposed them. Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their pride. He exposed their greed. He exposed their sin. Look at what Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you, what? Blind guides. Down in verse 17, you blind fools. And then down in verse 19, he says, you blind men. You see, the Pharisees then, and many today, and maybe even some of you here this morning, will not simply run to Jesus as Savior, because in order to do that, you have to face the reality of who you are. You have to face the reality that you are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. 
But from the blind Pharisees, we go to the blind disciples in verse 14 to 21. Follow with me. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they'd had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, and watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said to themselves, "Mm, it's because we have no bread. But Jesus was aware of their discussion. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And the answer is, they still don't understand. Now, we're a little startled, aren't we? The disciples still don't understand the purpose of the feeding of the 4,000. They still don't understand the miracle that took place for the Greek Phoenician woman's daughter. They, they still don't understand the meaning of the, of the mute man and the, and, and, the, and the deaf man that was healed. They still don't understand the self-righteous rejection of the Pharisees. They were looking, they were looking, but they were struggling to see. They were looking, but they couldn't see it. Ever heard of blind man syndrome? Or blind husband syndrome. You heard of that? All the wives are just going, Wee! You know, that's the eye condition where uh, the man goes to the cupboard, opens the Let's take, he's looking for tomato sauce. And uh, the tomato sauce is on the second shelf right in front of him. He opens the cupboard and he looks, he's looking, he's looking, but he can't see the tomato sauce. So what does the husband say? Honey, I can't find the tomato sauce. Voice comes back, honey. It's in the cupboard, second shelf in front of you. It's not there. I can't see it. Get out of bed and come and get it for me. And the wife gets out, goes to the cupboard, opens it up, and where's the tomato sauce? On the second shelf right in front of you. And you get the stupid response by the husband that says something like, well, it wasn't there when I was looking for it. I tell you, so many do that today with Jesus, don't they? It's, 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 listen, like the disciples at this point, they are looking in the right place. They're looking at Jesus. They, 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 they're considering the miracles, but they just can't see him. They're looking in the right place, but because they can't see him, what happens? One of two things happen. Either they end up walking away from Jesus completely, or they come up having struggle to look, they come up with the craziest notions about who Jesus is. Think about it this way. I mean, how crazy is it when Jesus says to the, to the disciples, just watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, what crazy notion do they come up with? Jesus must be talking about bread that we forgot to bring. I mean, how stupid is that? How crazy is that? It's a little bit like looking at Jesus and thinking, ah, 
That's it. It must be that his miracles mean that we can do those miracles today, right? That's crazy. Or you look at Jesus and you look at the miracles and you go, that's it. Jesus is going to fix all my earthly, emotional problems and things and the things that I want. That's what it's about, right? It's crazy. Or you look at Jesus, you look at all these miracles and you go, that's it. He must be one way to the Father. He can't be the only way, but he must be one way and all religious roads will get there in the same way. That is nuts. What about you this morning? Maybe you're still someone, you're still looking. You're looking. You're searching. You've been searching for a long time. Maybe you've been sitting in this church for a long time. You're searching. You're looking. You're looking at Jesus, but somehow you, you just can't see him, and, and you've, just, you've come up perhaps with some crazy notions about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Are you still so dull? Do you still not understand? But here's the crystal clarity. Look at it carefully. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Why? Why are these written? So that you may believe. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in His name, you might have life, eternal life. Are you still so dull? Are you someone perhaps who still does not yet understand? If you were hoping for the patty, you're going to have to wait. Let's go a little further down the burger. Let's go down to the lettuce. We've gone from the blind Pharisees to the blind disciples. Let's now jump over to the seeing Peter. The seeing Peter. Pick it up with me in verse 27. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, well, who do you say I am? Oh, they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say, mm, you're just one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Suddenly, Peter sees something crystal clear, doesn't he? I mean, if you see Jesus as a reincarnated John the Baptist, as Herod did, or if you see Jesus as a reincarnated Elijah, or if you just see Jesus as one of the prophets, well, then that's just, that's just crazy. You're blind. But Peter's got this theological epiphany. He's got his aha moment. He's got his eureka moment. He, he, he suddenly sees that Jesus is the Messiah. Suddenly, as he's contemplating all the miracles that he has witnessed, he comes to the one and only logical, sensible, sane, rational conclusion, Jesus Christ must be the, the, the long-awaited Messiah from the Old Testament. It is a moment of sheer clarity. Now, folks, I want to say to you this morning that when you look at Jesus 
And when you look at your wicked, sinful, deceitful heart outlined in Mark chapter 7 for us a couple of weeks ago, the only logical, sane, rational conclusion you can come to is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who came to save you from your sin. And I wonder this morning, have you truly come to that conclusion? I'm pretty sure that most of you have. But if you haven't, take a look at this. John 10, 37. Jesus says, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. Do not believe me unless I do the miracles of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The miracles beyond any shadow of a doubt prove that the Father sent the Son to redeem you. Is that clear for you? Do you see it? But Peter's only partially seeing, isn't he? As we hit the, hit the, the, the bun at the bottom. And as we pick up this partially seeing Peter, verse 31 comes as a bit of a shock. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Suddenly, Peter, instead of becoming the follower of Jesus, becomes the teacher of Jesus. Peter suddenly exchanges his role as follower for that of rabbi. And if that wasn't a stunning rebuke of Jesus, here comes the most stunning reversal rebuke in all of Scripture. Verse 33, when Jesus then turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, Peter at this point has just simply been tricked. He's, he's fallen for one of Satan's bag of tricks. Suffer and die, Peter says. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You see that he is seeing, but he's not seeing. He's struggled to see, isn't he? It's the satanic lie that you can have the Messiah who doesn't actually suffer for your sins and mine. It's having a Messiah that comes to restore the fortunes of Israel. It's having a Messiah who's perhaps the representative of humanity or dies as a representative. It's the Jesus that dies as some sort of revolutionary, but it's not a Jesus who comes as a substitute to die on the cross for your sin as a hell-bound sinner. You see, Jesus did not come that you can live your best life now. He came that we can live our best lives in eternity with him. Do you clearly see why he came? 
Let me just give you two verses. Acts 10, verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his wonderful, beautiful name that we've just sung about. Well, how about Acts 13, 38? Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You see, Peter wants a Messiah that's going to make him famous. He doesn't want a Messiah in Jesus that will forgive his sins. I know we celebrated at the communion table this morning, but I wonder if you truly see that Jesus came through his death and his resurrection in order to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. But the partial blindness continues. Pick it up in verse 34. Then Jesus called to the crowd and along with his disciples said, well, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. I mean, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. You see, if, the, if, if Peter and the disciples were struggling to see a suffering Messiah, boy, how they were struggling to see that his followers were also going to suffer in various ways. A cross-bearing Messiah is one thing. A cross-bearing disciple is another. Are you kidding, Lord? Most of us here, I think, here this morning have come to a place where we have accepted a suffering Messiah for us on the cross. But how about a cross for you? How about a cross for me as his follower? How does that sit with you? Never, Lord. Never will this happen to me. Never will this happen to us. And we take, we can so often take Jesus aside and we can start to tell him what we think is right. Tell him what we think he must do. We sort of take him aside and even maybe unwittingly start to rebuke the Lord Jesus in our prayers. This isn't right, Lord. This is not fair. How dare you allow? Fill in the blank. How dare you? One way to really test your heart on this is to ask yourself, how do you primarily pray when the chips are down? When tough times come, when sickness comes, when disaster comes, when tragedy comes, when disappointment comes, when hurt comes, how do you primarily pray? And if we're honest, how do we primarily pray? Lord, heal me. Lord, take it away. And then we can get so fed up with the Lord like Job did. And we can come quite bitter in our spirit. How do you really react 
when life goes completely pear-shaped. See, it's very easy for us as conservative, Bible-believing evangelicals to criticize those TV evangelists with their health, wealth, and prosperity, money-grabbing thing that they do, and we should rightly criticize them. But if we're really, really honest, we really want our best life now, don't we? Come on. We really do. We want to be stress-free. I want to be anxiety-free. I want to be healthy. I want to have a great marriage with all that goes with that stuff. I want wonderful kids that grow up and become doctors, lawyers, and piano players like Emily. We, 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 we really want that, that job that is so satisfying with that boss that's wonderful, thinks I'm the best things and sliced bread. Oh, yeah, talking to Sam on that one. We, we, we want that job where oh, they would never, ever consider retrenching me. They'd never run out of money and so on and so on. But that's really what often goes on in our hearts, isn't it? How dare you not give me? Not only did Peter struggled to see that Jesus was a suffering Messiah for his sin. But he struggled to see the death of self. He struggled to see the death of himself in following Messiah. I want you to listen to the statement carefully. To be a follower of Jesus is to die to yourself every single day. Did you hear that? To be a follower of Jesus is to die to yourself every single day. How does that sit with you? How well do you see that? The patty is easy now, isn't it? I mean, you'll get it, right? You see it. I'm really not going to spend much time on it, more than a minute, because now we start to see it, don't we? It's the partially seeing man. Pick it up from verse 22. So they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He takes the blind man by the hand, leads him outside the village. When he had put spit on the man's eyes, that's gross, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Some translations actually say that he spat on the man's eyes, but that's another story. He looked up and said, well, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Or well, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, do not even go into the village. You do see it, don't you? Jesus was not having a bad miracle day. Jesus is, was not in need of a miracle charge-up, like, like, like having to charge up a lithium battery that runs down. You see it? The man that was seeing, but not seeing, and then seeing, is a miracle used by Jesus and Mark to show us disciples how we struggle to see. We struggle to see, don't we? We see, but we... We don't see. And this, this man in this two-stage healing, he becomes a picture for us that 
we don't get spiritual sight all at once. And seeing, as Matt said earlier, is a progressive gift of grace. So what does this all mean for us? Let's take, let's take the whole burger home under the struggle to see today. You and I as disciples of Jesus, we struggle to see that the suffering way of Jesus is also the suffering way of his disciples. We struggle to see that his humiliation, his suffering and shame is part of our story. We struggle to see that being a disciple of Jesus means laying down our lives in sacrificial love so that others can come to know and see him. We struggle to see that with Jesus, it's all or nothing. You can't have Jesus and your life. You can't serve God and money. You can't have the world and Jesus. We struggle to see that. And, and we struggle to see that you simply cannot hold on to your life and have his. We struggle to see that retirement is not some sort of passive season of discipleship where your world is merely about grandkids and family and and, and, and you just sort of coast along into glory. We struggle to see that we truly cannot take our possessions and our money into the grave and into eternity with us. We struggle to see that it is more important to invest in eternal projects rather than temporary ones. We really struggle to see that this really is not our best life now. It can never be our best life now, and it will be the life that is to come in glory. The struggle to see that our present suffering is nothing compared to the weight of glory that is waiting for us. The struggle to live with, the struggle to be content with suffering. And the struggle to thank God in everything. The struggle to see that our suffering is part of our redemption, not the absence of God's love and care. The struggle for us to see that if the Father has sent His Son for our redemption, then surely the Father will provide everything He knows we need, not what we think we need. The struggle to see that it's so much better to give than receive. The struggle to see that obedience and holiness is so much better than the pleasure of sin. The struggle to see that God truly can be trusted to deliver on all his promises. And we could add many more, couldn't we? So many more. Take a look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, one of the things that this verse teaches is this, that while you and I live in this body, while you and I live in this body of death, we simply won't and we simply can't see everything clearly. The Christian life is a struggle to see. Non-Christians... Non-followers of Jesus are spiritually blind. Believers 
have had their eyes open to spiritual realities. But it's always going to be a struggle because God has not revealed everything to us. He doesn't show us everything. But he does ask us to trust what he has revealed, what he has shown us clearly in his word. Which also means, doesn't it, brothers and sisters, that you and I really do need a very healthy dose of humility when it comes to the word and the difficult things to understand. Certain things God has revealed to you, to us through his word, they are as clear as the nose on your face. But some things you'll never see. And some things you will struggle to see for the rest of your life. And if the Christian life is a struggle to see, it means that spiritual sight is a gift of grace. And it is a gift that we have to continue to ask for. Does that make sense? If the Christian life is a struggle to see, then the gift of sight is just that. It's a gift. But it's a gift that we have to continue asking for. So let me put it to you like this, my brother and sister. If you sit here this morning and you say that you can see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, if you can see that the divine Son of God has taken on flesh, living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death, rising from the dead, ascending back into heaven, promising to come back and get us, if that has been revealed to you, you only see that because that has been a spiritual gift of grace by the Spirit through the Word to you. God has opened your eyes to see Jesus, receive Jesus, believe in Jesus. But it also means that in order for you to see more and more and more of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you have to ask Him for that vision. You have to ask Him for that sight. And if you and I are to be satisfied more and more in Jesus Christ than in anything in this world, if you and I are to be motivated by the, by the pleasure of God instead of by the pleasure of sin, we have to keep asking God to open up our eyes. Let us see more and more and more and more and more of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's how Psalm 119, 105 puts it. Your word is a lamp. For my feet and a light to my path. So brothers and sisters, as we come to the Word week in and week out on a Sunday, as you come to the Word in your personal times, your quiet times, your prayer should be, Lord, open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Because I want to see you. I want to see you more and more. Show me more of your glory. Show, you, show me more of who I am in you. Show me more and more of my depravity from which you've saved me. Lord, Lord, show me the blind spots that I cannot see.
and give me the humility to accept it when you show me. If you're a believer here this morning, I simply want to ask you that you would thank God for your spiritual sight. You would thank God that through His Spirit and His Word, He has opened your eyes to see Jesus. Oh, you were blind, but now you see, right? But there's so much more to see. So keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. What? Spiritual sight. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I just simply want to ask you right now to pray, Lord, open my eyes to see Jesus so I can believe in Him. Would you do that? I mean, truly, Mark 8.36, what good is it for someone like you to gain the whole world and then forfeit your soul? Is that you this morning? You might gain the world, but you're going to lose your soul in hell. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Shall we sing it? As a prayer? From the heart? Maybe this morning you want to just stand and maybe you just want to listen to as other people sing it. So, uh, gathering team, thank you. Why don't you make your way up? As, as we sing it, maybe you just want to stand and you want to close your eyes and you, want to, you just want to, you want to hear the words and you want to just make that your prayer this morning, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. I want to see you. I want to see you. And then... Um, I'll, I'll close in a prayer from Ephesians chapter 1. Let's stand together.